Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. Down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know I am, and I am joined, as I am always joined, by the majestic, megalithic, and mirthful Mad Wizard Merwin. What is up, Sean? Uh, it is definitely March. Really? No, it's not, but by the time people listen to this, it will be. Okay, that's good, because I was confused for a second, because the last yeah. time I looked down, it wasn't March yet. Well, March is that month of, of my life when you just have to kind of grind it out. Right? Why, why it's is that? The end of, it's the end of winter. Everything's getting to me. It just keeps snowing. Uh, tired. So it feels like March. It's felt like March for about the last two weeks, and I'm sure it will feel like it for the next six weeks after this, but we're going to get through March. March is a good time for me, like breakouts in March, and I'm going there. So, Well, I mean, I'm not talking about good things that happen in March. I'm just talking about the general, my general attitude and... Uh, stamina usually I mean, gives out right around March. I mean, aren't you Irish? Not really. Oh, more so more, more Welsh, a little Scottish. So St. Patrick's Day holds no appeal for you? No, no, not really. Not that, really. That's fair. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, now that we have Sean's lineage in hand, we should probably move on to announcements. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> All right. First things first. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit real quick about Mike Merle's Happy Fun Hour. Now, if you're not... If you're a D&D fan and you're interested in design in general and specifically for D&D, I don't know what you're doing if you're not watching this show. Mm-hmm. It, is, it is the most interesting, informative uh, one-hour lecture from the person who basically helped invent the newest edition of the game that I've ever, uh, I've ever, I've ever listened to. Like, it's, it's, it's basically a college lecture class for Dungeons & Dragons every week. It is. It's, it's amazing. I listened to like, I listened to like nine episodes of it in the last two days. Oh my god, is it brilliant? <laughs> yeah, I've 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 been busy, so I've been trying to listen to it while I worked, and I that's t- a terrible way to, for me to do things. So I do have to go back and re-listen to the ones uh, that I've listened to that didn't sink in. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a masterclass in D and D design. Yeah, for for instance, uh, in, in, at least the episodes that I'm listening to right now, like I've like I'm starting at the beginning and working my way through. It's talking about about subclasses and how they're built and how if you were going to build certain kinds of things, how you can go and and build it on the chassis for stuff. And I'm currently listening to him design a a warlord. And I'm like, I don't know if this thing's ever going to work, but like, I understand now, like the, the, um, the difference between the Eldritch Knight, the uh, champion and the, uh, the battle master and what the the design methodology behind was that mm-hmm. philosophically and you know from a m- mechanical point of view like what they were intending sure and it's crazy good like th- this is um this is how you learn D D design mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh I-, I highly suggest going and and listening to it absolutely uh, i'm lucky i have um i have the youtube premium subscription so like ah. i just put it on while i'm at work and then turn my phone off because you can mm-hmm. do that with that subscription. Ah, nice. So uh, I don't have to actually leave the videos on, which is which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, number two. So Sean, I'm going to get to play D and D with you this weekend. That's what I've heard. That's what I've heard. 
Um, are you are you prepared physically and mentally for the challenge? Uh, I, the, really, the question is: Is are all the people at the table are they going to be prepared for you and me? It's true. I'm not it's sure true. what I'm not sure what they were thinking. But uh, so, Sean, you um, you were part of an auction. Yep. Uh, to run a game, and that game is being run this weekend by some local folks. So, uh, one of them is a, and then the person that won is a is a friend of mine. Invited me to come play. Mm-hmm. So we're going to play a tier two AL game. I'm not sure what the adventure is. It's a uh, tear at soured manor. Oh, that one, which is, yeah. that's funny. Cause I, I helped lay that out, not lay it out. Yep. Like I drew the maps for it. If I remember correctly. Yep. Um, I am going to be bringing a bard named Epilia Ashencourt. Bard extraordinaire. Mm-hmm. I love insults and song. And yes, I will be singing. Okay, in other words, first character dead. I suppose if you say so. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we you will. want, if you want to rocks fall, we all die. That'll be fine. <laughs> oh no, just just on you, not we all. Just that's fine. Then I'll just bring an Epilia Ashencourt to Bard Extraordinaire <laughs> the second. Ah, I see. <laughs> Even more annoying than uh, the first. <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's it should be a fun time. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, you know, thank you to the Moore family for um, donating to the charity to to get get it and i'm looking very forward to uh to playing and and dming and it's funny because the adventure that i'm running is um kind of my my um homage to uh sinister secret of salt marsh oh my let us just skip right down to that then because it was supposed to be uh four but we're gonna we're gonna do this three so the ghosts of water deep you want to talk a little bit about that Sure, they just announced what the next hardcover uh, is going to be. They've been speculating, they being the internet, has been speculating about what it will be based on hints that have been dropped by various D&D folks. But on the 21st of May of this year, the world will get to see Ghosts of Waterdeep, which is the new hardcover book, a uh, bunch of adventures, and as well as other rules for running a nautical base campaign. So the tagline is explore the waves above and the fathoms below in these watery adventures for the world's greatest role-playing game. And it has recently, since that announcement has come out, um, uh, Wolfgang Bauer, John Sawatsky, and Stephen Winter have said that they worked on these. So they are updated... uh, Adventures based on previous adventures that have been released. Uh, the Sinister Secret of Saltmarsh, Danger at Dunwater, and The Final Enemy are the first three. And that is the U1 through U3 trilogy back from first edition days. Um, the first adventure I ran as a DM, I was probably 11 or 12, um, was The Sinister Secret of Saltmarsh. And they're also going to have in the book Adventures Salvage Operation, Isle of the Abbey, Tamara's Fate, and The Styes. So those seven adventures will be updated for 5th edition, uh, kind of like uh, Tales from the Awning Portal, but they will also be an ongoing campaign where you can run all of them uh, in order to make a campaign out of them, or you can just pull them out individually and, and play them then in that way. It's very cool. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. very excited for this, like, more so than I thought it would be. Oh yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be nice. And the one of the the only problem that I had with the original Sinister Secret of Saltmarsh 
was that the town of Saltmarsh itself was not given to you. You know, there were a couple of details who who the town council was and so on, but there wasn't a map, there wasn't what shops are there, what cool people are there. Um, it sounds like this book will contain information on that town. And one of the things that people are talking about now is, well, Saltmarsh and that whole U trilogy uh, took place in Greyhawk. So is Greyhawk coming out now? We have not heard a yes or no officially on that, as as far as I have seen up to this point. Uh, but there was a lot of information just dropped about Greyhawk's past in the latest Dragon Plus magazine. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Which we will talk about in just a second. Yeah. Um, so the the price of this product will be forty nine ninety five. Uh, the release date, as I said, is the 21st of May of this year, hardcover format. Um, there will be an alternate cover, as they have been doing lately. And the only way to get that alternate cover is to buy the book at your local gaming store. Ooh, nothing like a comic book methodology for selling things. Yep. So so there's that. Uh, any thoughts on, on the Ghost of Waterdeep, Chris? I mean, it's neat. I'm going to, you know, buy this thing. It's going to be great. I think I don't know if I'm going to buy it in hardcover. I'm going to buy it digitally. I think I might just get it on on D and D Beyond. Yep, uh, I will definitely get it on D and D Beyond, um, and maybe I will get it at a convention for running games or something like that. You know, in in the hardcover form. Yeah, then you can just go around and torture people with the Sinister Secret oh. of Salt Marsh. Absolutely. So looking forward to seeing seeing the update, especially from. From the Cobalt Press, you know, folks, Wolfgang Bauer and Steve Winter uh, and John Sawatsky, good, good folks, great D&D minds. So it'll be fun to uh, to see what they've come up with, especially in terms of you know, new monsters, new magic items and, and so on. All right. Uh, let's move on to our last thing before our main topic. Uh, the Dragon Plus, which, mm-hmm. like you just said, there's a, a giant chunk in there that's about Greyhawk. So people who have been saying that they want Greyhawk, uh, even if we don't get any more information about Greyhawk, you can go to this Dragon Plus um, articles free on your mobile device or even on the website. We have a link in the show notes uh, for the website. And you can just go read the history of Greyhawk, basically, uh, written by Luke Gygax, Gary Gygax's son. And where you can find information if you're interested in running a 5e game in Greyhawk. Uh, it's a very long article. It's got lots of great information. Uh, I don't want to you know, read it all through right now. It mm-hmm. just, it's there, so go check it out. Um, other, I think these Dragon Plus articles are, or these Dragon Plus issues are getting better and better as they go. There's been getting more information uh new information new art uh new uh columns and just kind of more interesting things you can get you know free maps there were a ton of free free maps um i wrote the best of uh the dm's guild article where you can get a free adventure uh this time it was uh pb beckwith's uh adventure i'm gonna uh, struggle in three horn valley uh, which I believe he wrote with, um, I don't want to say for sure until I know, but I think he co-wrote it uh, with someone, and it's part of a, a longer two or three adventure uh, set. So lots of 
good stuff in Dragon Plus this this uh, month. I'm uh, I'm I'm looking through some of the comments on the the link that you threw my way, and like people are like, "Well, wow, mm-hmm. this is the best." Best Dragon Plus yet. It's almost like a full digital magazine at this point. And like mm-hmm. that, that Grey Hawk section was huge. I wonder if they're building up to something. It's interesting thought, right? It uh, hopefully will just get better as it goes. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I mean, maybe we'll see a Grey Hawk release like they had the Eberron release, right? I, you can't, you know more than I do. So don't say anything. I'm just speculating at this point. Right. I like, like we've always said. I can only talk about things if I know nothing about those things, mm-hmm. uh, which is which, not probably the best thing, but hey, it works for me. Yeah, but I, I don't know anything these days, so I, I can speculate, which is fun. I like to speculate and then watch Sean just like be like, yeah, that, um, maybe, yeah, probably that not, be, but possibly. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's move on to our main topic for the day. Uh, designing Encounters, Pillars of Play continued. So last week... We talked about uh, we talked about combat. We talked about social the, those pillars of play and and kind of how we we fleshed out how they kind of work and our thoughts about them and what makes them um, what they are. Mm-hmm. So today we're going to talk about the exploration pillar and then mixing them for maximum effect. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about exploration. Well, but let me step back first and just remind everyone what we have been talking about. Sure. What we've been talking about is. For each of the pillars of play, even if you are using different pillars, there are some themes that run throughout, such as, you know, what are the goals of the characters? Mm -hmm. What are the goals of anything that is opposing the character, whether it be socially or in terms of combat? And what... What's the story element that this encounter either introduces or continues? Uh, and so, for social and for combat, you know, we talked about all those all those um, concepts: the concept of knowing the goals of of all the different elements for each, the concept of making it fit into the story, so it it's not just this one off encounter, but that it continues the narrative flow mm-hmm. and exploration you will come to see if we describe it correctly, we'll do all of those things as well. It's a little different, though, in a lot of ways, because a lot of times exploration is about setting up a a scene that is passive at first. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, Th- then that letting, is true. Yeah, and then letting the uh, letting that area, the thing that you just set up, the the thing that you just described, react to what the players do. There's mm-hmm. there's there's often no, there's not really often an active component for the for there, the dungeon master. I I think you're correct, except you can still think about it in terms of, you know, what is the goal of a trap? Right. Y- yes. Yes, you can. What is the goal of a lock on a door. And if you continue to think in terms of goals, it may be it may not be exactly as you would think about it in terms of a goal of a creature, but there is still that concept of thinking about why you are putting this bit of terrain or this obstacle that they're going to explore, why is it there? Mm-hmm. It should have a purpose for being there and therefore there should be um, consequences for dealing with it well or dealing with it poorly. I, I agree with you 100. Uh, percent I would like to say that you, when you think about those things, especially with traps and things like that, 
it's more about thinking about triggers than thinking about um, actions. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, so so the you know how does the trap trigger? How does the environment um, react once the player characters start doing something? What's the most in- interesting or important thing that that trap or or environmental effect or you know uh, tra- trapping that you've put on the environment? Uh, mm-hmm. What, what does it what does it do once some once it's dealt with right so those are like I said it's it's a bit of a subtle shift from thinking of like mm-hmm. oh I can just act I can talk I can I can do to like I have to wait so it's sort right. of like you're setting up lures too there's also that very true very true and that goes to like the story element mm-hmm. why are the characters even even interacting with this in the first place what reasons can you give them as you call it a lure? reasons can you give them story-wise or mechanically to have them even interact and explore an area in the first place so let's um when it comes to ex- exploration mm-hmm. the uh the often the goals for the characters are learning about an environment uh, manipulating an environment or surviving an environment mm-hmm. right or so, all of the above or all of the above usually mm-hmm. all of the above uh yep. maybe not surviving all the time but it's more fun when there is surviving right <laughs> right yeah, usually. <laughs> I I think it's fun. Like, I mean, if I'm sorry, I've got to I've got to get into DMing mode now. You know, I've got to... As a player, I want to survive things in an environment fairly often. Otherwise, what is the point? Like, I'm just walking through a, a field of flowers. Right. It's pretty. It smells good. There's just nothing going on, right? Like, I could pick the flowers. Make a Constitution saving throw. Ah, see now, there it is, right there, yep. right? Oh, yes. now, now there's poppies. How do I deal mm-hmm. with the poppies? Yep. All right, yeah, so so let's talk about each of those things uh, that you just mentioned, the learning, the manipulating, the surviving, just just as a starting point. Sure. So um, when, right. when you're designing for learning about environments, mm-hmm. um, this is about giving the DM enough material to present the characters with interesting things and also, mm-hmm. like I said, either lure them or point them at the things that are highlighted in the setting. Mm-hmm. Yep. That as, is a, as they as they learn things, uh, you want to go back to the question, you know, why are they learning this? What what's the importance of it, either mechanically or narratively? Mm-hmm. Right? Are they learning about the environment because uh, it's a trap and they need to get through it? Are they learning about this environment because it's going to somehow expand their knowledge of the area and therefore of the narrative that you are presenting to them? Or is it just there to uh, reinforce the theme and the tone of the adventure that you are presenting? Yeah, and and that's I kind of roll that into narrative, but mm-hmm. absolutely yes, um, it it could be a be a tonal um, presentation. So all of the statues all have a certain feature uh, because you want to get across the fact that you know this fey land. Um, everyone worshipped snakes. And so therefore, you know, all of these statues, even though they are of people, have snaky elements to them. Mm-hmm. Right. That is getting across a narrative aspect uh, of the environment that they are exploring. Uh, there's an, so so there's the, the learning part. So, so there's the highlighting, right? There's the pointing at things that are that are more interesting in the uh, in the background. Um, that, mm-hmm. is, that is part of the descriptive process, and then once they start interacting with things, then it's about mm-hmm. it's about 
um, sort of like opening, I mean, these are figuratively, uh, I'm trying to think of, think of a figurative way to say this, opening doors or pulling back curtains to learn more things about them. Mm -hmm. So like those snake statues that you're talking about, uh, like they could be subtly glowing, which is sort of a lure. I mean, they're interesting all on the own, on their own, but if you say like one or two of them are subtly glowing, like mm -hmm. those are, those are highlighted or lures, right? So then when they go and interact with that, like, then they can make arcana checks or whatever checks that, like, history checks to figure out what's going on with that. And when they make those checks, then you provide a little bit more information that pushes them along a little bit farther. Mm -hmm. So that, that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about when I, when I talk about learning about the environment. So yeah. you are sort of revealing the story of the location through, um, through these, these lures and these reveals. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how that, that, uh, play flows in an exploration sequence. Absolutely. Um, and, the, and it doesn't have to just be with checks either. It can be when they move to a different area or, or see a different, uh, see a new thing, like the yep. fog of war thing, you're revealing more of the area. Sure. And, you know, in terms of this learning about the environment and revealing, uh, this is something we've probably talked about uh, before, but we'll, it definitely is important enough to reiterate. Don't hide important or fun information behind skill checks yes you just give uh, uh, people that information right unless there is a good reason to and there would be consequences if they don't because otherwise you're just hiding the cool things uh behind a check that doesn't need to be there yeah so for instance that aura on the snakes that i was talking about that mm -hmm. what if that aura on the snakes is the fact that it's sort of like a scrying spell but like mm -hmm. you never pass the check to figure out that it's actually some sort of scrying spell like, that's actually not hurting anything because it's just saying that, oh, yeah, whatever's watching you has got the drop on you for a long time mm -hmm. until you yeah. find out later when the bad guy's like, I've been watching you the entire time through my snake statues. Yes. And I know you wizard are always using fire spells. So I was able to cast, you know, a spell on myself to give me immunity to fire because I know how you work. Oh, yeah, because, you know, that bad guy might have that uh, protection from elements spell or whatever. Sure. on their list and you could even write in there because you're designing mm -hmm. encounters of course for later uh mm -hmm. you're going to cast protection from right. whatever spell with the element that makes the most sense mm -hmm. see that's that's yes. a really good design right there based on learning about the environment there you go because then of course if they figure it out they can maybe uh they'll at least know that they're being watched and maybe they can cloak their actions right uh, so let's talk about manipulating the environment then mm -hmm. so a lot of this has to do with the bread and butter of exploration. When you think of exploration in D&D, &D, you think of things like picking locks or dealing with traps or opening doors that are stuck or locked. So in all of these uh, iconic D&D &D moments, really what we're talking about, talking about is after learning about the environment, you need to manipulate the environment to get the desired effect that you want. Mm -hmm. uh, so... Those things, again, the first thing that comes to mind when I think about that is um, make make sure there are consequences for success and failure, especially in terms of things like locks on doors and chests, right? If it's a trap, there's a natural consequence built in. You take damage if you fail to find it or fail to remove it. Um, but with something like a door, uh, if they can't unlock the door, or they can't smash the door down, you don't want it to end the adventure there because there's a door in the way. But you also want there to be consequences for them being unable to deal with, to correctly manipulate the environment. 
So maybe there's a different door to that same room in a different location in your um, dungeon. Yeah. Doors are barriers. And yep. barriers, in my opinion, should do well, a couple of things. They should either they should either funnel funnel characters and story in a direction, or they, if they if they're not gone through right, like like they uh, we can't do this. This is going to funnel us in a different direction that that might make our lives more difficult. Or um, uh, I you know what? I can't remember what the other thing I was going to say was. I had it in my head and it just kind of vanished, just poof, gone. So never mind. That, that I blame is, March. Yeah, right. I blame mm-hmm. March too because it's not even here yet. It's yep. it's creeping in. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that is that is their primary function, right? Like they they funnel characters in different directions, usually mm-hmm. to make their lives more difficult. Yep. the The final um, part of exploration is sometimes surviving the environment. Yes. So now we're talking more about large scale. Uh, areas, or at least that's what I'm talking about. So your adventure is going to take you through the Desert of Desolation. So you're exploring, but you're also, as you explore, trying to survive. And this can be, for some uh, DMs and for some parties, this can be a a heck of a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. You know, coming up with ways to get from point A to point B in a very hostile environment. Uh, for some groups, it's just a um, a waste of time and endless boring trek to to do so. So when you're coming up with this survival sort of exploration, keep in mind the the ta- the table that you're DMing for, because you don't want them to have to sit through a whole evening of survival checks if that's not what their jam is. So, so large scale environments that need to be survived in some way, shape, or form, often to me are uh, meta game puzzles, and not mm-hmm. meta game as in like meta game's the wrong word. Um, large, large overarching puzzles to be solved. It's like how yeah. am I how how am I as a group how how is my party going to right. survive or, or how is my party going to spend their resources in order to deal with this situation? Sure. But once I've once they've done that the one time, then they're usually fairly set. Like you, you've already kind of like established what your consequence cycle is going to be based on the the precautions you've taken. Correct. Um, to me, what gets then interesting after that on these large scale environment survival situations is when you introduce a complication that forces that to change in some way, shape, or form. So let me let me summarize what Chris said with an example. They're setting off across the desert. There's two ways you could do that. The first way is, hey, group, you know you need to get from point A, this town, across to the other side of this desert to point B. But since you're in town and you know you're making this trek, you can buy scrolls and you can buy potions and you can buy equipment that will make this trip easy or easier than it would be if you didn't. Point B is, or the other alternative is, you're you're in this town, you are captured, you are taken out into the middle of the desert without any preparation, and you are dropped off, and now you have to survive. Mm-hmm. Those are two very different types of exploration uh, encounters that you will be running. Is, does that sum up what you mean? Uh, sort of, kind of, yes. That that is that is the setup for it, right? So- or or 
Sorry, I'm going to, I'm going to continue. No, keep there. going. Or or you start with A. You've bought all your potions, you've bought your scrolls, you've got your equipment that's going to let you survive this. But when you get halfway through the desert, um something a an anti-magic field goes off and destroys all your potions and all your scrolls. Yes, that is the kind of thing that I am talking so, about. Yeah. So like, now you have the complication of we thought we had this under control, but now we're going to have to find a way to survive. Yeah. Also, like, we're in the desert, right? And things are going really well. And th- there's it's this hot, beating down environment and whatnot, but we have all the stuff to take care of that. Oh, look, there's a sandstorm on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Like, cause the, it's, it's still the hot desert environment, but, mm-hmm. you know, now there's a sandstorm coming, so we've, we've altered that. So the sandstorm is going to hit, and then what is the consequence of the sandstorm, and what is your situation after that? Yep. And the interesting thing is, to go back to what we were talking about in our announcement section... With a lot of these nautical adventures, you're going to find yourself into this in this territory even more because, you know, the ocean is not a hospitable place for human life. There isn't easy access to water. It's true. There is there is some access to food if you can fish or shoot birds out of the sky, uh, but it's not hospitable since you can't breathe uh, water also, mm-hmm. um, you are basically on a small vessel, wooden vessel uh, in the middle of a very hostile desert. Yep. It just happens to be made of salt water. Uh, so that's the big, the big overarching environments that one needs to survive. There's mm-hmm. also the, the, um, the smaller things that happen too, like the, the large, large effect traps, right? That's surviving mm-hmm. an environment like that, sure. that creates an environment in all of it, all of, in and of itself. Right. Right. Uh, if you're if you're in a dungeon room and the room starts filling with water, that's surviving the environment. Uh huh. That's that's mm-hmm. exactly it. Even yeah. the small small stuff too, like a poison arrow trap, like that's surviving the environment. Like mm-hmm. it's because you're not you're not manipulating that because uh, you haven't found it. You're just trying mm-hmm. to survive it and its consequences. Right. So all yep. those things are good things, in- including hazards and whatnot, too. Like, oh, look, there's a rock slide that's coming down. Oh, you're going to get caught in an avalanche. Oh, look, there's a bunch of deadly fungus that is uh, that you've just realized that you're standing next to. And it's in this entire hallway in this cavern that you're in. Yeah. So, you know, when, when we talk about exploration now, uh, this kind of reiterates what I said before, but I'm going to move it on to a smaller level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ex- going through a dungeon is exploration. Yes. And... Like a large, hostile environment like a desert, um, there are ways to deal with exploration on that small scale uh, that can either turn into a rep, rep, repetitive slog you know, or a cool and fun puzzle to deal with. And the the fun part of this exploration for most groups, I would say, is not how you handle things Normally, it's what happens when things go sideways. So you've got your marching order and you've got the person who's always checking for traps who's in the front. And you've got the person who in the back who's always looking behind uh, him or her to make sure nothing comes up behind you. So there's this kind of status quo, what we always do. And what becomes fun for most groups is when something happens to disrupt that. Um, so when you're talking about the, that exploration, it's fine to let your group set that uh, marching order, that thing that we always do. So it just becomes one person mapping and one person doing this and one person doing that because that's what adventurers do. But then be ready to throw them the curveball um, 
to make them think outside of that box that they're always used to being in. Yeah, in, in fact, that is where exploration comes into play the most because, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, what we're looking for is is conflict, and conflict comes with the things that are not normal. Like when, once we change the situation or provide something in the situation that is different from what we've had previously, then we have something new to play with. Yep. Uh, that is the the best way to think about your design. Like, what is your status quo? How are you changing it? I completely agree. And and what makes that, what turns that into a conflict or turns that into, or a lore or turns that into something that will push the adventure forward? Yep. Where's the drama? Yep. Where's the drama? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about mixing these pillars for maximum effect. Oh, yeah. This is where, uh, well, they say variety is the spice of life, right? So the variety of D&D &D is when we create those memorable moments by having encounters that are unique, that are unexpected, that aren't the same thing that the players and their characters are used to over and over and over again. And one of the great ways to add that spice to the game is to take an encounter and do more than one thing with it at once. Mm-hmm. It also helps you mix up your beat structure because mm -hmm. <laughs> instead of having three beats, now you have a whole bunch of different beats that you can kind of have. Exactly. And uh, again, as we've mentioned over and over again, always go back to how does this fit into the narrative that I'm, I'm uh, trying to explore with my players. Yeah. What is you my know? overarching uh, theme? What is that? The Edgar Allan Poe's uh... unity of effect. Yeah. Yes. Unity of effect. Thank you. Yep. So let's think of a typical combat encounter. Ooh, I got one. Go ahead. Uh, a couple of ogres in a barn. Okay. Got a couple of ogres in a barn. Because they typical do that sometimes, right? They, they sometimes do. Mm -hmm. um, they're the, what, so what, what are their goals? What's the ogre's goal? Uh, they want somewhere warm to sleep and food to eat, which is the livestock and the people that lived here. Okay. So, the, so their goal is food uh, and safety. Yes. And so the players, so let's let's assume that our overall narrative is uh a giant invasion. Sure. So the giants have invaded uh this area and they've pushed the ogres out of their normal homes. So these ogres don't work for the giants, but they have been displaced by the giants because they just told them to get out. So and, and we're doing this without a net, folks. Chris just made that up. It's not in our notes. We're just going to roll with it. We'll see uh -huh. how this works out. Sure. All right. So so the players are there. The overall theme is they're investigating what's happening with this giant invasion. They know about it. Um, they're moving into the area where giants have been seen. Yes. And let's say that they've come across this farm and everything's really quiet. They they see the uh, part of the 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 farmhouse has been bashed in. All right. Sounds good. Okay, so we've got our where does it fit in the narrative. Uh, we've got the goals of the players. We've got the goals of the enemies in the combat. Mm -hmm. All right. So now we're going to – we know that there could be a combat here. Yes. Okay. So now we need to throw in our other pillars to see how we can add something to make this encounter more than just a combat. Well, let's talk about exploration then real quick. We'll talk about combat and exploration because that's, that's really where I was going at with this. Okay, cool. Um, because ogres are kind of stupid. They don't often talk. We could talk about combat mm -hmm. interaction if we want to in a second. but We will, um, yep. So when the 
party approaches, they see this, right? There's the barn, which is still standing. The doors are mm-hmm. even still working, functional. They're pretty big. Like, there's two two doors to this barn, and the barn's mm-hmm. really, really huge. But yep. the house, the farmhouse, it's not that big. And the front of it has been bashed in. So there's, like, a mm-hmm. giant hole in it. So mm-hmm. that's the setup, right? Like, uh, and they, they see maybe – and also maybe there's, like, a dead uh, horse out mm-hmm. in front that looks like it's been uh, partially eaten. Chewed on, okay, yep. Yeah, so now we have now we have our, our setup, right? So now right. we're like, what do you do? So now we've highlighted a few things. There's the dead horse, there's the, the broken down house, and there's the fact that there's the barn that's been strangely not touched. Mm-hmm. So those are, those are our three sort of like interesting features of this farm. Okay, so we could have just a straight exploration encounter dealing with things outside. Right, they're going to investigate the horse. They're going to investigate the home. Mm-hmm. What we're what we're going to talk about though is when they get to the barn. Yes, because that's when the combat is going to take place, and we're going to see how we can add exploration to that. I agree. Okay, so uh, so they explore. They come up to the barn. They listen. They maybe hear something. Maybe don't. Um, they go in at some point. Let's say. Yes. Uh, uh, so here, so now combat begins. They've opened the door to the barn. Uh, the ogres see them. Being ogres, they attack. So what exploration does in terms of adding a second pillar to a combat uh, encounter is give something going on in the area that needs to be figured out before combat goals could be achieved. So... When you add exploration to the combat, what you want to do is make exploration as important as the combat itself. To do that, you want to make sure that the players can't just do the combat and then worry about the exploration later. If you do that, you're not really combining two pillars. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're just doing one pillar and then the other. You know, back to back. Yes. So let's say that once a fight breaks out between these ogres in the barn, that Mm -hmm. there starts to be screaming from the hayloft above. Okay, good. Because now, like, what's now? Now we have to figure out who is screaming. Why are they screaming? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, you could talk to them, but let's just say that they're not. They're sort of in. They're they're sort of freaking out, right? So like, they're they're gagged. They're they're gagged, and you know. Uh, we should probably add something else to this then because uh, uh, putting a timed or pressure thing on top of the fact that this person is screaming uh, mm-hmm. would be would be pretty useful. Yeah. To force that sort of exploration. Right. Because now, yeah. now the player characters can't just kill the ogres. They have to go up into the hayloft to see what's going on up there. Mm-hmm. That for, and that sort of pushes them. It's like a lore or a, uh, or a highlight to be like, deal with this thing or there's going to be a consequence. Mm-hmm. Does that uh, does that kind of uh, cover all the yeah. things that you mentioned? Uh, I believe so. I would add something also with animals. I would say that there are animals in in here um, that have not been eaten yet, ah, but that are terrified because they can smell ogre, mm-hmm. um, and they're if if something happens that sparks their fear to push it one step higher. They they stampede. Yeah, that's that's interesting. <laughs> so maybe the the pens are open, mm-hmm. and if the pens are not closed before this trigger happens, um, a stampede will you know, break out within the barn. 
Yeah, so now we are now we have multiple reasons to move around this this barn and explore this barn, right? Yeah. Also, you know, maybe there's a whole bunch of like farm equipment in there too that can be mm-hmm. um utilized in some way, shape, or form. Right. Or there has been damage to the barn and that if any attack happens near one of the you know, two of the three remaining um load bearing walls or pillars within the barn, the whole barn will collapse. Ah, oh, see, that's a thing to interact with, right? Perfect. Yep. Also, so, possibly a thing to survive. Exactly. Exactly. So now, I mean, any one or two of those many things that we've talked about can add the exploration uh, pillar to the combat. Oh, I really like that pillar thing. That that actually might be way better than anything else we said because, like, you can see the pillars and that, like, right. knocking them down would drop, like, parts of the ceiling or, like, parts of the hayloft down on the ogres. Right. So it's right. something that you can use, but once you've knocked down two of them, then it's like a check every round. Like the the barn right. is starting to come down, right? Or you know the ogres stand next to a pillar. If you kill an ogre while it's next to a pillar, the ogre may tip over into the pillar and knock it down. Yeah, and then that could just so, be very bad, right? So therefore, you don't want to finish the combat, i.e., kill the ogre, until you've figured out a way to support that pillar. Mm-hmm. You know, all of these things that we're throwing out are are ideas for making that exploration, that investigating the area, uh, equally important to the combat. Yes, absolutely. So I'm going to give you some tips if, if, if we're okay to move on. Yes, do it. Okay, so some tips for doing this sort of intermingling of exploration and combat. Um, you want to first make the exploration element as clear as possible as soon as possible. You don't want to hide these things uh, unless it's something that you believe would be a very difficult check to see. So you don't want to have them make investigation checks, say, uh, to notice that the pillar is weak. You just want to say, you notice that this pillar is weak, and if it takes any jostling, the the whole ceiling might collapse, the yeah. whole barn might collapse. The, uh, um, the, the, the animals are startled. Uh, yes, you can see them the ter- terror. Uh, you walk in, and there's somebody somebody screaming that's gagged in the hayloft. Like, right, exactly. Like that's a, th- those are lures, right? Like we were talking about. Yep, yep. Don't hide them because once a lot of players, once they get the whiff of combat, that's all they think about. So unless you explicitly say there may be consequences to your actions if you don't take care of these things, they will probably ignore them. It's true. Uh, tip two, make it relevant enough that it can't just be ignored. So I've mentioned this a couple of times already, but I'm going to make it make it a third time. Uh, make it relevant and immediate and something that the characters cannot ignore. They can't just kill the ogres, right? They have to do these things before the ogres fall. Or they have to do these things or... The the bad consequences of the lack of exploration will be triggered and devastating. Yes, that. And I've gotten a lot of questions about if I do add these exploration elements to um, to a combat, how do I know if it's too much or too little? And the, the way I like to think about it is if you add a monster to a combat, you can normally tell roughly how long it will take a regular party to defeat it what sorts of damage that this monster would do. 
So you can say, well, if it's if its armor class is this and its hit points are this, it would probably take five regular attacks to kill this monster. So if that monster would make your challenge rating a certain way, make your exploration part kind of fit within that range. So maybe it would take three rounds worth of actions to um, stabilize a pillar. So treat that as a monster that would take three actions to defeat. Mm-hmm. Um, if if one of your exploration elements might do damage, do it the same way. If I added a third ogre to this, um, what would the challenge rating be? Okay, that that works. Let's make this challenge about the same as an ogre. If the monster stamp, or if the uh, farm animal stampede, it would do about the same amount of damage as the strike from the ogre's club. Yeah, so in that case, I think it's like, what, uh, 2d10, probably, plus some strike sounds, modifier? Sounds about right. Now, of course, you have to then multiply that times, uh, like, two or three, it, because it's going to be three rounds, right? Two or three rounds. So it's, you're right. going to probably just jack that up to, like, 4d10 or, or 5d10, somewhere in there. Right. But now if the stampede is going to affect everyone in the barn, then that's, an, you know, an ogre attack against everyone. Yes. So that would... You know, if an ogre that, usually lasts three rounds, it would get to hit three different creatures. Or mm-hmm. if it had multi-attack, six. So if you have six players, then a one-round stampede would be like three rounds of, of ogre attack. Yeah, so then you could just drop back down to 2d10 or 1d10, yeah. either and, way. And so, But it's not terribly difficult, if you think about it in those terms, to come up with something that may not be perfect, but it's not wildly like doing 100d10 damage um if you're trod on by wild goats. Yeah. I was thinking more like if you knock a pillar over and part of the part of the roof falls down in a, in a, in a fairly contained area. Then you, sure. can, then you can jack up the damage because it's more focused. Yep. So That sounds about right. Yeah. So, so there, there you have an example of combat plus exploration being um, melded into one single encounter. All right. we, we might need a different example for combat plus interaction. Not necessarily. Okay. Let's talk about these dumb ogres. Okay. So... We know that um, we know that these we know that giants are in the area, mm-hmm. and so we go in. We see these ogres, and they're they're beat up. The ogres are beat up, and it looks like they've been ta- they've taken damage, a lot of fire damage, and you know that it's been fire giants in the area. Interesting. Okay, so you're now giving clues. Um, yes, a combat will likely happen. But you're you're telling a story about what happened to these ogres, and you're giving clues as to what the goals or what the background story of these ogres might be. Um, so, as you're as you're fighting, um, there is a a means to interact with the enemy in a way other than combat. I mean, even at the basic level, there's nothing there's nothing more fun for me, at least often than to have my adversaries taunt or make fun of or talk to my player characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that's that's combat plus interaction at the most basic level. Right? Yes. Um as as they're fighting, they're talking. And that talking could get across you know plot information, it could get across background information, it could enhance the narrative or even move the narrative forward in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, for um, for instance, the ogres could be like, uh, puny mortals, uh, you must be, you must be slain and brought before, uh, hot, hot lords. 
mm-hmm. you know, that's a context clue, right? Right. And, right. And now by, by saying that, you may be not only giving that background information, but you may give an out to to take the um, take combat off the table and make it uh, more of an interaction uh, encounter. Mm-hmm. Because if the ogres are saying that as they're attacking, maybe they're saying, "Oh, we kill you and bring tribute to Lord Hot Giant." Um, Lord Hot Giant. That's a yeah, that is I, the I, best. I'm thinking Arrested Development with Operation Hot Mother. Oh um, man, I've never actually yeah. seen a single episode of Arrested Development. Oh, so well, anyway, it's 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 stuck with me this long that I remember that. So that tells you what I thought of the show. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, we well, so we are fully integrating combat with interaction in such a way that taking a round to not attack doesn't hurt you if you use that action in an interaction way. Yeah, like, at that point, that, that opens up another avenue, like you said. Like, the player characters can be like, instead of killing us, why don't we just give you tribute that we can all go and offer to Hot Giant together? Exactly. Which I say with the most seriousness, Lord Hot right. Giant. Exactly. I mean, that's his name now. Lord Hot Giant is the most fearsome fire giant lord that ever existed. I believe at this point we say an adventure by Sean Merwin. I, I think that's how it goes. <laughs> Lord Hot Giant and the Ogre Tribute, an adventure by Sean yeah. Merwin. You, you know it. So, you know, often when we think about a combat plus interaction thing, you know, the interaction is is secondary. The combat is the quote-unquote important part, and then the interaction is just something that, oh, maybe happens. But if you think about it the other way around, if you make the interaction more important than the combat... And, you know, the combat can be a part of it. Um, you know, what what you choose to do in combat may enhance the interaction rather than the other way around. Then you're thinking about it in a different way that could surprise and delight your players. Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing we just talked about with the ogres, there was three three varieties of uh, of interaction there. There was content. There was like flavor and there was flavor. Right, like mm-hmm. to the situation, there was also context clues and information that is distributed via the interaction, and then there's like a whole way to just subvert the not subvert, but you know, uh, solve the con- solve the conflict without actually resorting to killing each other. Right. So, like the, those, all three of those things happened in that example, mm-hmm. or had the potential to happen in that example. Right now, now maybe. Maybe the ogres don't believe that you uh, having you on their side would make up for fighting a giant, but you do cold damage, and they say, "Oh, you know, hot giant does not like cold damage. You can do cold damage, therefore, you are more likely to be able to defeat him." Now you've used combat to enhance your interaction. Yeah. Now, now, uh, now you've sort of given a context clue that maybe the ogres will follow you. So then yes. you can you can change things up if you want to and, and push it that way. If the especially if the player characters take hold of it. Yep. So this just gives you all these options as a designer to um because we're talking about designing these encounters to yep. put these these bit of context clues in there. Like, look, like here's like a trigger. Like if cold, mag- if if some sort of cold magic is used, the ogres might respond this way. Right. Or, or if fire is used. They'll say, well, that's not going to help you against, you know, Lord Hot Giant. Yeah. Or just like they will mention Lord Hot Giant when they when they first attack the characters, Mm -hmm. which can spark all that interaction. 
Yes, indeed. Uh, so the last one, exploration and interaction. Yep. So so if you think about exploration as delving into the unknown, right? You're, you're searching the environment. You're trying to find out what's there. You're trying to understand it. You can set up exploration as a complicated interaction encounter takes place. So in other words, if even if it's a mostly talky encounter, you can make it in... And so you can de design it in such a way that what the characters are really doing, they're not just trying to get someone to, you know, give them what they want, but they have to explore the psychology of this social interaction. And there could be social traps being set that they have to f discover and disarm. You know, if you're talking to these, these ogres, you do not want to mention blank, and you can come up with anything uh, based on uh, whatever context clues that you give when you describe the ogres, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to convince them that uh, they can let go of the prisoners that are up in the hayloft because you will help them fight the giants. So now you're in, in, a, in an interaction, but when you put up these context clues and you can set these traps that the characters have to avoid if they want to fully um, get what they want and also give the ogres what they want. And so just as an example, you know, um, one of the ogres has a certain type of damage to it. And so you don't want to mention uh, so whatever it was that caused that damage. You know, if like you, fire? <laughs> yeah, if you bring that up... Um, that's a trap. So what you're what you're rolling for is an insight check to figure out what not to say. Mm -hmm. That's recognizing the trap. Um, and then to disarm the trap, you could just say, okay, as long as they never mention that, um, they can the, the players can get what they want, or at least not take any quote unquote interaction damage. Or in this encounter. Well, it's the same um, thing as moving around the room and never stepping on the pressure plate, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you can create uh, interaction encounters, social interaction role-playing encounters, using this concept of exploring the social situation and making the, the players and their characters work around things. Can you do it the other way? Can you have like the uh, it be a, an exploratory situation, like with our snake example, statue example mm -hmm. earlier, and then have it still feel like an interaction because the it's almost like the um, the setting itself is 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 talking to you in a way, like not necessarily right. talking to you, but like telling you things as you are um, interacting with it. Sure, uh, you could you know you're, you're interacting with these snake statues and the. Um there are pieces of the statues missing or there is a place in each statue for a gem to be placed. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are gems spread out around the room. So the exploration part is, okay, we've seen the statues, we've seen these places, we've seen the gems. Um, they need to be put in, but how do we know where to put them in? And suddenly the statues start talking. And that's, that's a really cool encounter right there. I was, right. I, I, I actually like that a like that quite a bit. I, I was more thinking like, um, I like your gem idea. Like there are more statues of these snakes throughout the entirety of this complex, this, this mm -hmm. larger overarching arching dungeon. And part of, um, 
part of it is like interacting by placing these gems into these statues will keep telling you more and more of the story of the dungeon and whatever is at the bottom of the dungeon, the, uh, the face snake lich that is waiting, awaiting you that has been sleeping for, uh, an age, mm-hmm. which I think is a, is an interesting yeah. way to sort of explore and interact with the setting. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's a fine example. And you know, there's, there's a ton of different ways to do it. And some of them are more on the exploration side. Some of them are more on the interaction side, but it all comes back, I think, for the last three weeks that we've been talking about this, it all comes back to just think it through before you do it. You know, jot down a few notes, a, a framework for the encounter. Yeah, what are, the, so that, what are the goals? What are the motivations, right? Exactly. How does it fit in my narrative? What, mm-hmm. are, what are the goals of the players? What are the goals of the obstacles or the enemies? And then just come up with new twists on different ways to, to make those pillars work. Yeah. I mean, you said the right word there. Like, all of these things are just frameworks for mm-hmm. for encounters. So, like, right. once you have the framework that you kind of want to work inside, then you can just sort of build around that. Right. And it gives you a framework for when the characters do something you didn't expect. Uh-huh. You may not have the... I You know, you might not have the ideal thing written down in front of you, but if you know the framework, then you can come up with something that still fits within that framework uh, on the fly. Yeah. The number of times that I've had what I thought was going to be a fight that turned into an interaction and the mm-hmm. other way around, uh, I can't even begin I, I can't even begin to tell you. Like, I, I can't remember how many times. I couldn't count it on my all my, fi- all my digits, right? Like, it's happened oh, yeah. way more than that. Yep. So, uh, so that's our discussion of the three pillars of play and how to mix that stuff. Do we have anything else to talk about concerning designing encounters? You know, I... I'm sure we could, but um, I did a poll on Twitter, or like just like what, is, what do people want to hear about next mm-hmm. as we go into March, and the overall um, agreement that I've seen so far, anyway, is to talk kind of more more about adventure design. Sure. So taking encounters and making them fit into an adventure. So oh, I think kind of so that's where we are. We going to talk about we, frameworks next then like start breaking. Yeah. Right, we've talked about them before, but we can start breaking them down, I guess. Right. Let's talk about adventure frameworks. And so we've started with kind of the building blocks of adventures, which is encounters. And now we can talk about, you know, putting them into this, putting them into a framework. Well, I guess next week we'll talk about the general frameworks that exist out there and then we'll start breaking them down for D and D in the following weeks. Sounds good. All right. Well, I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, everyone, and uh, especially to some of our patrons. The Rainmaker, Sean P. Kelly, Noah Bond, Donahue McCarthy, Jason Pitt, Yuho Rotilla, Thomas Hook, Troy E. Taylor, Tim Okoye, and Wayne Peterson. And speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Down With D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page on the website, and for $2 a month, you can get yourself a shout-out like you just heard. Or for $4 a month, you not only get a shout-out, but you also get to see our show notes and access to the Misdirected Mark Slack Room for Life, uh, where you can chat with us whenever you so choose. Uh Uh-huh, absolutely. If you can't help us monetarily, but you'd like to give us a boost, you can do so with an Apple Podcast review. Those podcasts help, no matter where you're listening, because uh, they use Apple Podcasts to rate and rank shows. And so a five-star review would be much appreciated, or... You know, just stare, share our stuff on your social media. That would be helpful as well. We also just like to see those things because it makes us feel really warm and fuzzy on the inside. It does. It helps me get through the 17 weeks of March. Yeah. I mean, Sean, Sean's going to need that 
uh, that love right there because he's mm-hmm. he's going to be not, he's going to be inconsolable for like the next twelve weeks, pretty much. Yeah. So, Sean, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, the best place to find me is on Twitter at Sean Merwin. Or if you want to hear what the Mad Wizard is saying, you can talk to me at Wizard uh, at Menagerie Wizard. How about you, Chris? Uh, you can hit me up at Misdirected Mark, or uh, you know that is the the network and the show Twitter, or you can just go to the website. We can catch other great shows such as this one, The Lounge. The Doc finds the best, the brightest, and the most fun game designers and sits down to have a cool chat with them. You never know what conversation is going to come up in the lounge. In fact, I should be on the lounge. Like, the episode that I recorded will be up sometime in the next couple of weeks. Sweet. They're just starting season two, right? Mm-hmm. Season two just Sweet. popped up. It was a cool, like, recap of all the stuff that happened, uh, all, all the guests that, that were on last year, or last Doc season. Runs, Doc runs a pretty nice ship, pretty tight ship, and he's a great editor, too. Yeah. Thank you, Doc. Thank you, Doc. Down with D&D is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. So what are we going to do now, Sean? Are we going to kill something? Are we going to kill something? I believe that this weekend, Chris, you are going to kill some monsters but then get hit by traps. Oh. Oh. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. You're down with D&D. Down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know me.